Um, so tonight's reading is 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 2, verse 1 to 16. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labour and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as also, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But God's wrath has come upon them at last. Father, we thank you for this marvellous letter that describes what an authentic, real church is. And our prayer, Lord, is that we would look at it, be inspired to be like it, and where there are evidences that authenticity and what is real is here in Chalmers, we pray that we would be encouraged. It's right to be encouraged. And we pray that you will encourage us as indeed you inspire us. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, Sunday nights for the start of this term, 1 Thessalonians. The title for our series is Authentic. What an authentic church or a real church is like. What are the marks, the hallmarks, the distinctive features that show it is authentic, genuine, the real thing? What should we be looking for in the life of Chalmers? 
this letter will tell us. Chapter 1 described some of the marks of an authentic church. For example, an acknowledgement that spiritual progress is the work of God. It is God at work, supernaturally. And so we thank God for what he has done and he is doing, expressing our dependence on him, acknowledging that unless he is at work, we labor in vain. Moreover, an authentic church is where the gospel of God is taught, the gospel of God written in the word of God, a conviction that the word of God preached and taught, empowered by the Spirit, does the work of God and changes lives. In such a church, an authentic church, people will be converted, and God will grow through his word a transformed community, evidenced by works of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. Moreover, the preaching and teaching of the gospel in the word of God will turn a local church to look out, to reach out, to send out. These are some of the marks of an authentic church. God's work, God's gospel in God's word, proclaimed and taught, converting people, building a transformed community, turning the church to look outwards, reaching out and sending out. Some of the marks of an authentic church. That's chapter one, authentic church. Chapter two, the focus shifts to authentic leaders. Authentic leaders. Who are the leaders in a local church? Well, who does Paul have in mind here? He is speaking about his own leadership as an apostle. But it is appropriate to apply what he says to leaders in a local church. So who are the leaders in a local church? The elders who lead corporately. Some elders set apart to serve full-time in leadership. People like me and Rog and Jane, Johnny. Those who lead leaders' growth groups, equipping leaders, small group leaders, others in small group who lead Bible studies, other staff members, youth and children's group leaders. All of these people are leaders in a church And it's really important that we don't think church leader as just one or two or three. The Bible is very strong on plural leadership, giving responsibility, taking responsibility. Now note the relationship between authentic church, chapter one, and authentic leaders, chapter two. There is a clear connection between leaders that are authentic and a church that is authentic. A clear connection between leaders in a church who do what God in his word says they are to do and an authentic church. A clear connection. Let me give the three footnotes to that. Number one. 
Do not let this crush you as a leader. Let it challenge you as a leader, but not crush you. At best, leaders in churches are like jars of clay, brittle, fragile, and sinful. A leader in a church, whether an elder, a full-time set-apart elder, a student worker, a small group leader, a Sunday club leader. A leader in a church always leads under God's leadership. Every leader is under God. Leaders are never shepherds. They are under shepherds. God is gracious and he works through us in spite of us. Ultimately, the spiritual life and growth of a church is not dependent on any leader. It is dependent on God. Yes, there is a clear connection between leaders in a church who do what God and his word tells leaders to do and an authentic church, but do not let that crush you as a leader. Let it sober you, let it convict you, let it inspire you, let it charge you to do what God says you are to do as a leader, but never crush you. Footnote two. Remember, it often takes, usually takes, a long time for people in churches to change. In other words, the connection between leaders in a church who do what God and his word tells them to do and an authentic church, like chapter one, may take a long time to be seen, to be evident. Very often, leaders in churches faithfully teach the gospel from the word of God and see little fruit. It takes a long time, often a long time, sometimes a generation for the relationship to be seen. And also there are churches where Christian people long for leaders who will teach them the gospel from the word of God. Third footnote, recognize in this, the importance of corporate leadership and equipping others to teach the Bible. It is just obvious. More important, it is biblical that the more leaders doing what God says in his word tells leaders to do, the better that church will be in its potential for spiritual growth. And that is why as elders, we work hard to share leadership amongst us. It is why Rog and Kath and Davy and Scott and Naomi and others give time training small group leaders, the benefits, the blessings, the growth it will bring in time. What is it then that leaders are to do? What is it that all these people in a church like Chalmers are to do? Number one, authentic leaders teach the gospel of God. Authentic leaders teach the gospel of God. That's verses 1 to 5. Let's read them again. Follow with me as I read. For you yourself know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, 
but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Authentic leaders teach the gospel of God, verses 1 to 5. Now, notice first the bookends, the very beginning and the very end of this little section, verses 1 to 5. At one end, verse 1, for you yourselves know. Paul is speaking to the congregation in Thessalonica. For you yourselves know. At the other end, verse 5, the second half of the verse, as you know. And the very end of the verse, God is witness, God knows. Paul is defending himself against opponents of his ministry, those who said he was not authentic. And Paul is saying, this is how you know I am authentic. And most importantly of all, God knows I am authentic. How do you know a church leader is authentic? How do you know that the leaders in this church are authentic, whether a full-time elder who preaches or a small group leader or someone who teaches a kids group who leads a Bible study? How do you know a church leader is authentic? Because they are bold in declaring the gospel of God. They proclaim, they teach the gospel of God in the word of God. They do not add to or subtract from Scripture. They teach the Word of God and so proclaim the gospel of God in its fullness. And when the flack comes, they do not divert from that. They get up and they keep going, proclaiming the Word of God and the gospel. Or when the enticement to do or say other things comes, they do not divert. Why? Because they are convinced that teaching the Word of God is what changes lives, builds a transformed community. They do it because they are so convinced. And they do it because it is what God says they are to do. It is plain obedience. When you set out in Christian leadership, it is a matter of plain obedience to do this. When you have been in it for a number of years, it becomes a matter of deep conviction because there is no silver bullet bar teaching and preaching the gospel of God that changes a church. Verse 3 is a bold statement, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. That is a confident claim. On what basis can Paul make such a confident assertive claim? Well, he's an apostle, but these are not the credentials he claims. He appeals to the fact that he has been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so he speaks not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Now, can a leader in a local church say that? Can a leader in a local church really say that our Bible teaching and our preaching is without error, our motives without impurity, or any attempt to deceive? 
maybe not just blatant deception, but surely we are guilty from time to time of overemphasis or underemphasis. We must be guarded and humbled. But we should be able to see and not wriggle out of the need to say our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. For we teach the gospel of God in the word of God. And so to every leader in Chalmers, to every elder, to the elders who bear most of the preaching, to small group leaders, to those who lead Bible studies, to those of you who teach the Bible to children and young people. Be bold in declaring the gospel of God. Preach and teach the word of God. Do not be deflected by other things. Do not be persuaded to change what you teach. When you are knocked back, get up and keep on speaking the gospel of God and the word of God. Encourage others in the same. Equip others to do the same. Now again, some footnotes. Number one, however tough it is, always, always remember it is a privilege and joy to be entrusted to teach the glorious gospel of God. If the last thing on your heart is preparing another lesson on Zoom for Sunday Club, remember you are teaching and entrusted with the privilege of teaching the glorious gospel of God. Number two, God gives supernatural strength to do it. We had boldness in our God, Paul says. It is the Holy Spirit that both enables you to speak and takes the word that is spoken and applies it with conviction in people's lives. Even now, as you are distracted, perhaps, listening, it is not my rhetoric or my voice that holds your attention. It is the Holy Spirit. Number three, teaching the gospel of God is never in vain. Verse one, for you yourselves know, brothers, that are coming to you was not in vain. What is the reason given that Paul's ministry was not in vain? Surely it's the impact of the gospel in the church in Thessalonica that lives were changed. That's as may be, it did happen, but that is not what Paul says is the reason that their ministry was not in vain. He says, what we did was not in vain because one thing only, we declared to you the gospel of God. Faithfulness, not fruitfulness. Faithfulness. Can I encourage us to be encouraged as a church? Let the word of God encourage us. I hope it is appropriate. You know if it is true or not. Most importantly, God knows. The elders are increasingly convicted that they need to lead by teaching the Bible. All of them. And they are taking steps to do it. There are many more people preaching and teaching the Bible in Chalmers than there used to be. There are lots of people committed to learning how to teach the Bible and lead Bible studies. There are people willing and able to equip them. The whole church family is studying Romans. 
Small group leaders are having to work really hard to lead Bible studies. What is happening is that all over the church, people are teaching the gospel of God. That will grow the church. That will enable us in evangelism. That will bring people to faith. That will change people. Nothing else will. And that activity, the preparation of lessons for children's groups, the leaders' growth groups to understand a difficult passage in Romans, all the prep that goes into that, the prep for student focus, the prep for Sundays, the actual activity of teaching, preaching, Bible studies, kids' work. It will never look like, feel like, or sound like the strategy that will build a church, convert people, and transform a community. But it's not our church. It's Jesus' church. And this is how he says we are to do it. It is the only plan that works in the end. And it does work. It is working. Authentic leaders speak the gospel of God. Second verses 6 to 12. Authentic leaders love the people of God and are not a burden to them. Let's read from verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and his glory. Yesterday, I was speaking at a conference for people thinking about gospel ministry. We were talking about the vocation of the Christian leader in terms of their commitment to their own family and to the family of God. 1 Timothy describes the local church as the household of God. Elders are leaders in the household of God. Small group leaders care for a group of people within the household of God. The qualifications for elders refer to the elders' own household, their own family. And the point is that they should not be entrusted with the leadership of the household of God, the local church family, if they are not fit leaders within their own household and family. Every Christian, every Christian has two families, their own family and their church family. 
Every Christian leader has two families, their own family and their church family. They have a responsibility to both. And Paul uses common language for the household, the family, and the household of God, the church family. He describes authentic leadership in the church as like a father and a mother to their children. Now, we might conclude that it is very demanding to have two families. It is. For all leaders in a church, for elders, for full-time set-apart leaders, small group leaders, we are to love our families. And we are to love our church family. It is a challenge. We have a responsibility to both, not one or the other. And we need to help one another work out the balance. But here's the important point, not about how you balance this, but about the fact that it's the same kind of love. It is the same level of love, of commitment, of devotion, of discipline. Authentic leaders in a local church love the people of God like a mother and father loves their children. Listen to the great Apostle Paul, the man that penned the marvelous letter of Romans, who writes here, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. The apostle who declares boldly the gospel of God. The apostle who says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. The apostle who said to Timothy, you must guard the gospel, Timothy. The same apostle loves the people of God as a mother loves a child selflessly, affectionately, sacrificially, and all-consuming love. And so an elder, a small group leader, is to be gentle, to be affectionate, to hold those in their care very dear to them, and that means to be involved in their lives, to know what is happening. And like a father in Paul's language, to exhort, to encourage, and to charge, to walk in a manner worthy of God. Love them. Now take that and apply it in the life of a local church. That is what leaders are to be like. And you know, you know, you know. And that's why these words are so powerful. You know, every church knows if this is true. How does it sit alongside the commitment to teach the word of God? Is it a sort of competing priority? No, it's at the heart of teaching the Word of God, not in addition to it. As a leader in a local church, you never teach the Word of God in a vacuum. That's why we have local churches, because the teaching of the gospel and the Word of God is in a family. 
where the teachers are in the family. You teach it to people you know. You listen to it from people you know. You teach it knowing what's going on in your life. Now, you might listen to someone online who is a brilliant preacher, and it is edifying and helpful, but they cannot be a father and a mother to you. You cannot go to somebody you listen to on a podcast and says, will you come and sit with me when I die? You can't do that. It's not the same as the leaders who teach the Bible in your local church. They know you, you know them. There is nowhere to hide, which is challenging and wonderful at the same time. And again, can I encourage us? There is plenty of this going on in the Chalmers Church family, so far from perfect like our own families. Many of our own families, all of our families, even the best of them, are so far from perfect. But there is real love. And in a church family, in Chalmers, so far from perfect. So I want to say to you, as an elder, that we love you. And I want to look you straight in the eye and say we love you. Do you know that you're loved? If not, then see. We want to know. We need to know. There's one little practical dimension here. Paul is at pains to point out that he was not a burden to them financially. He worked to support himself in ministry. There were reasons for that in the context of this particular situation, this particular church in Thessalonica. Plenty of other churches, Paul did receive financial help. The principle, though, is this. Like a parent, a leader in a church is not in it for material reward. They are in it for love. Full-time elders, other vocational gospel workers, should be supported appropriately. But if it is more than they need, then there is a host of problems and important questions to be asked. Authentic leaders teach the gospel of God. Authentic leaders love the people of God and are not a burden to them. And then thirdly and finally, in verses 13 to 16, Paul shifts from speaking about his own ministry to speaking about the church in Thessalonica. Authentic churches live according to the word of God. And what Paul is doing, he's moving in chapter one between authentic church an authentic leadership, and now he's back to an authentic church. Teaching the gospel of God, the word of God, is vital, but so also is receiving the word of God. Read with me verse 13. We thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. An authentic church, family, in a building, or on YouTube or Zoom, 
receives the Word of God. What does receiving mean? It means that people in the church accept that what they are hearing, that you listening now accept that what you are hearing is not the words of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God. That's why Bible teachers have the responsibility to teach the gospel from the Word of God. That is a very serious responsibility. But every Christian in a local church, including the teachers, has an equally serious responsibility to accept that what they are hearing is the Word of God. What does it mean to accept that what we hear is the Word of God? That we listen that we heed, that we obey. Let me just uh, put a little footnote in about listening to sermons, engaging in Bible study. How do you prepare to listen to a sermon? Well, we can read the passage ahead of time. We can pray that we will listen well. I need to pray when I'm at home, listening on Zoom or YouTube, that I will listen well. What keeps us from our minds wandering during a sermon? Do we take notes? If we are listening on YouTube and Zoom, are we tempted to speak to people? Look at our phones. I'm really sorry if you were on your phone. We've all done it. How about catching up if we miss a sermon or listening or watching again? How do we follow up a sermon? Maybe as we think about it in a Zoom group afterwards or exchange a text or WhatsApp message. How do we prepare to engage in a Bible study? The simple answer is prayerful preparation to try to eke out time to prepare for a Bible study for we get so much out of it and you know what an encouragement it is to your leader? You know, we pray every week for the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. We need to pray every week for the listening What happens when a church receives the Word of God, accepts it as the Word of God, really listens, prayerfully listens and obeys? The end of verse 13, the Word of God which is at work in you believers. The Word of God at work in you, changing you. Now let me just underscore this. I think it's true that we may not always and indeed we may not often be conscious that the Word of God is at work in us individually and as a church. If I was to say to you, what did, what was preached last Monday, or not Monday, because no sermons on Monday, Sunday, or the week before, or the month before, or the year before, we may not remember, we probably won't remember, we may not remember the content of a Bible study or what we preached last year, but the Word, because it is supernatural, is no less at work. Mark chapter 4. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day. Whether he sleeps or get up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how, all by itself. The seed produces corn. Week by week, sermons are preached, Bible studies are prepared, children are taught. And you might think that it goes in one ear and out the other. You might listen. I think it goes in one ear and out the other. But the Word is at work, attended by the Spirit of God all by itself. God plants, waters, and grows. 
The ministry of the word looks so weak and feels so weak. And yet it is how the Lord Jesus builds his church. The very next parable in Mark is the mustard seed, the tiny seed. It becomes a large tree with many branches. Authentic churches live according to the word of God. The word is at work in them. And let me encourage us that the word is at work in chamours in our lives. The last footnote. When the word is at work in a church, so also the world is at work opposing that word. Paul speaks about direct opposition to the speaking of the word. The world and the prince of this world, Satan, at work to oppose the proclamation of the word. Conflict and opposition is a refrain throughout these first two chapters in 1 Thessalonians. For example, chapter 1, verse 6, chapter 2, verse 2, chapter 2 here, verse 14. Conflict and opposition is a repeated refrain in the story, in the history, in the present, the future of every living gospel church. It is not a sign that something is wrong. Rather, it is a mark of authenticity. The world is at work against the word in sometimes very direct ways, but often in more subtle ways. One way the devil does his best is to distract us as we listen. Authentic leaders teach the gospel of God. Authentic leaders love the people of God and are not a burden to them. Authentic leaders live according to the word of God. These marks are here. And we thank God for them. But we pray that they would be evident more and more. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this really clear chapter in the Bible about authentic leadership. We pray that we will be rightly encouraged. But we pray that we will not be complacent in any way, but inspired to do these things more and more, to teach the gospel of God from the word of God, to love the people of God, and to live according to the word of God. For Jesus' sake. Amen.